Hi there, and welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor, I'm a coach, I'm a husband, I'm a very proud grandfather. And along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've already achieved and of living a fulfilled life by continuing to make a positive difference in the world. I invite you to join me to listen in on the Everyday Millionaire podcast as I interview and have conversations with seemingly ordinary individuals who have achieved some pretty extraordinary results, whether it be in their life, in their business, in real estate, And it's here where I'm going to delve into the details of their journey, along with the paths they've traveled to get where they are today, and as importantly, where they intend to go in the future. My guests are here to inspire. They're here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them, both in their wins and in their challenges, from the life and the lifestyle they live to the person they had to become along the way in creating and building their financial futures for themselves and their families. Before I begin this episode, I'll start by first thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show, as well as to ask you to please continue to send your comments, your suggestions, or your questions directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That is CEO at R-E-I-N-Canada.com. And if you're inclined, please share this podcast with your friends or your family and with people you know or perhaps even people you don't know. Rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And while you're at it, please follow me on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. So thanks again for the feedback you provide us. It's definitely appreciated. Okay, let's get on with this show and have a conversation with today's guest. My guest today, Shane Melanson, is the host of his own hit podcast, The Investing Advantage. And he's the founder of Melanson Developments, which is a commercial real estate development and investment firm in Calgary, Alberta. Shane's also authored two books. He wrote the book Club Syndication, How the Wealthy Raise Money and Invest in Commercial Real Estate, and his second book, which was called Evolve, Your 90-Day Growth Plan. Shane's inspired by helping others to succeed, and he's focused on working with professionals and business owners to make smarter investing decisions. His goals are to help his clients create financial abundance by investing like the wealthiest 1% of the 1% through value-add commercial real estate opportunities. For the past 15 years, Shane has completed more than $260 million in transactions for his clients and $65 million in his own personal real estate transactions. Shane has been around the block. He is experienced and he knows that which he speaks. He's worked with publicly traded companies like Melcor Developments, First Capital, and Sun Life. He's worked with financial hedge funds and some of the wealthiest families in both Canada and the U.S. But today, he's focused on helping everyday people invest like the wealthy in commercial properties. He lives in Calgary with his wife, Kelly, and three children, and he works from home, which really lights him up because it allows him to take the kids to school and he no longer misses birthdays or dance recitals due to work and travel, which was how he operated in the past. Today, he joins me to talk real estate. He talks life, we talk business, and the journey of a seemingly ordinary individual who's achieved some very extraordinary results. Listen in. Shane Mellison, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast, man. Uh, You know, Patrick, uh, I'm excited about this. It's uh, 
it's something I've been looking forward to ever since I've been a rain member since, geez, I don't know. It's, it, it's been a little while. So, well, listen, you know, we've met several times, but we've, uh, and we broke bread together, but we really have been in a crowd. So I haven't actually been able to kind of have a conversation with you and, and really get to know you. So I'm excited about uh, digging into this because you've done some really cool things uh, and you're a cool cat. So, um, you know, I want to start just to give listeners some insights into you. I mean, you've done a lot of stuff here, you know, as your intro says, but tell me when somebody approaches you, Shane, and says, uh, what do you do? What's your, what's kind of your short and dirty answer to that? Well, it's changed over the past, uh, call it 12 months. Uh, today, what I would say is I'm a commercial real estate investor and developer. And uh, I also have, uh, you know, like a, podcast and a book that I've written. And so, yeah, that, that would be kind of high level. And generally people say, well, what does that mean? Like what, you know, what, what, what was kind of the intention behind uh, creating a show? Cause I used to sell commercial real estate as well as investing in it. And um, I would say really kind of at heart, I've always liked to help people if you will, and, uh, and, and educate. And so creating uh, kind of content similar to what you're doing here with the everyday millionaire. It's been quite a journey, a lot of unexpected kind of side benefits in terms of meeting uh, more people, expanding my reach. And as an investor, I mean, two of the big things that that people are always looking for, number one, deal flow. And number two is uh, raising capital. And so while that wasn't my intention, it has uh, it has kind of occurred just through making more people aware of me. So that was kind of the upside in terms of doing the the podcast, writing the book. Now, you've written a couple books. Give me a little bit of background on uh, the first and second books. Sure. Well, the first book was, or is called Club Syndication. And, and the idea behind that was, I, I used to get asked to go for coffee all the time. And, and people would say, you know, Shane, can you tell me how to invest in commercial real estate? Or how do you raise capital? And what I noticed is you go for 60 minutes or 90 minutes and, and it would take up a lot of time. And I would think that I was actually helping someone. But the reality was I could tell that they really weren't, you know, you can only bombard someone with so much information and then they would maybe go away and I wouldn't hear from them. And I would kind of run into them again and ask them whether or not they had actually kind of taken action and, uh, and they hadn't. So I thought, you know what, if I put this book together, A, it's going to save me time. I'm not going <laughs> to kind of uh, have to go for uh, as many coffees. And, uh, and secondly, I thought it would be helpful from a credibility standpoint. The second book was really, that, that was the one that really changed me, if you will, in terms of feeling comfortable to share uh, my stories. And so back in, I want to say August 2018, I signed up for kind of a course on how to write a book. Because the first book is fairly short. It's only about 60 pages. This second book called Evolve was really uh, kind of a journey on sharing my story. And uh, I remember the first time I, I posted on Facebook, I want to say it was maybe a thousand words and it was a story kind of about growing up and some of the challenges and just struggles, if you will. And uh, before I hit send, I thought to myself, there's, I think, I think back then there was maybe 300 people on my list. And uh, I, had, I had a tremendous amount of um, anxiety and reluctance to put that message out. And uh, I pressed send and I started to get some, some feedback. People were liking it. They were like, wow, Shane, I never knew that about you. And so I continued to do that until probably the end of November, no, sorry, end of December. So there was maybe, 
well, I, I had about 80 stories that I shared. And that essentially became the foundation for that book. I have my dad. So what year are we talking about here? What are you? December. Just last year. Just yeah, the, oh, 18. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah. so in the past, yeah. So August 2018 to December 2018. You know, it's uh, when it comes to writing books, this was shared with me and it, it seems so obvious after it's stated. It wasn't obvious to me at the time, but a coach that I worked with many years ago, a guy by the name of Dr. John Martini. And um, it did a lot of that work. And, but anyways, he made a really cool point. He goes, when you write a book, you, when you author a book, you are technically an authority. That's the breakdown of authority. And so when you talk about writing a book for credibility, some people say, well, it's just a really great business card and all the rest of it. And, and that could be true. And it is true. But ultimately, it makes, as an author of the book, it makes you an authority. And I went, ah, that's kind of a cool insight. So you know, it really sets you out there. So to your point, you know, you put it out there, you put some words out and people go, shit, Shane, that's cool, man. Good job, right? When I wrote that uh, first book and even my second book, and, and this is, I think really comes down to kind of a mindset and confidence. And I think anytime you're doing something new and putting yourself out there, I will share with you that there was some key people in my life that I didn't even share that with. Some of my mentors, because I was quite worried about what they might think, right? They had never written books and yet they're substantially higher up the, the food chain than, than I am. And so who is Shane to be writing a book on how to raise capital, invest in commercial real estate? And what happened was uh, actually one time my, my, uh, my mother-in-law was over and my little girl, Brooke, she's, uh, she was maybe seven at the time. She said, Grandma, look what Shane wrote. Look what my dad wrote. And so she runs up and gives a copy of my book to my, to my mother-in-law. And so my father-in-law is one of my mentors and I was thinking, oh no, like, no, he's going to read my book and, you know, wonder what he's going to think. And uh, I must say that uh, it, it brought us closer and he actually uh, was very complimentary uh, of the time that I had put because I, I did put a lot of effort into it. So even though you're kind of quite nervous and, and you don't really kind of know where it's going to, where it's going to kind of land with people. Uh, yeah, the feedback has been really good. And uh, well, congratulations on that. And um, yeah, yeah, you know, it's it's always interesting because our fears are really, in this case, is really it. You know, ultimately, it's ego based, right? It's it's the yes. fear of judgment. It's all the things that which is just our ego in that. Yet yeah, you'd accomplished, you know, far far more than many had. But of course, if you're comparing yourself to somebody like your father-in-law, you know, your father-in-law is a, a player in the industry as well. Yeah, absolutely. And he's got yeah. a big background and. And he and good to have him as a mentor. Now, why commercial? Did you ever play, or do do you still play in the residential space, or is it is it primarily commercial slash light industrial? Give me a little bit of background of what commercial means to you. Yeah, well, so commercial to me is is really could be multifamily, industrial, retail, office, mobile home parks. Uh, I've invested in all of those except for office. I've never really done office, but I didn't start there. I mean, I, I really, uh, like, I don't know if you mentioned, but I mean, I grew up in Whitecourt, Alberta, small town, and I got into residential real estate in probably 04. And I was fixing and flipping. I was building spec homes. I was doing some long-term rentals. And I started to believe I was pretty smart, uh, but in an up market, as you remember, between 05 and 07 or even 08 in We're a genius. Alberta, <laughs> You're a genius. Yeah, you didn't have to be, you didn't have to be very uh, <laughs> yeah. intelligent. You just had to kind of have the balls to be able to actually invest, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. as long as you were in the game, you were probably doing okay. Yeah. So I, I got caught uh, in, a, in a deal that I never should have invested in. I mean, had I 
been following the uh, rain philosophy of a strategic investor, I would have, I would have uh, certainly avoided that. Uh, I was listening to the wrong people. And I only have myself to blame. Although obviously back in the day, you're, you're pointing fingers, right? And so I learned some, some lessons. Um, about that time, I was dating my wife, Kelly, and, uh, and she would tell her parents what I was up to. And, and one day, Andy, and, and I should back up, I was at Sun Life Financial. So I was in commercial real estate doing lending. And we had some really, I mean, if, if you know, maybe offline, I can tell you about some of the clients we worked with, you, you would certainly know them. And these guys came from nothing. And I was just amazed at how they had essentially built these nine-figure net worths investing in. One guy was multifamily, big in Edmonton. Uh, another gentleman um, from just outside, uh, well, he was from a small town in Alberta, but he lives out in, in Vancouver. And he's got properties all over. And I would get to sit in these meetings and listen to them. And of course, they were smart, but they were really street smart. That was kind of what I noticed about them. And so I would just ask them questions and questions. And I was very fascinated and thinking, how would I break into that world of commercial real estate? Well, there was some gaps, if you will. And that was really what my father-in-law showed me. How do you raise money? How do you find the deals? How do you have the kind of staying power, if you will? And, uh, and so for the past, I guess, since 08, 09, I've been uh, just fully immersed in that. So I'm going to go back a little bit because there's a little gap there for me that because I've I've talked to any number of individuals, guys like yourself that were at some point, they were lenders, you know, they so they were actually part of putting deals together. But they sat across the same guys that you did. They had the same opportunities to pick brains and do all that, but they didn't. So my question is, is what, why are you wired different? Because you know as well as I do, there's lots of guys out there. And they're doing the deal, right? They're, they're, they're lending, they're making the deals happen, they're working their asses off, and they're, they're making their income based on funding those deals. And that's awesome, awesome, awesome. Yes. But what's the difference between you? Because you're sitting across the table and you're making money funding deals and you're going, yeah, I'm missing the boat here. I need to uh, find out what the hell these guys are doing. Where was that shift for, for you? Like, how did that happen? Because that, when you say it, it's like, oh yeah, well, of course that's what I did because that, what, why wouldn't I? But that's not the norm. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, until I heard you say that, I, I, I guess I never really considered it not normal, right? I, I'm, uh, number one, an extremely curious person. I go to a lot of uh, events. I spend, I invest a lot of money in personal development and understanding human psychology and sales and marketing. And so for me, I remember one time we were standing outside a building and it was quite cold. And I was just, and, and the guy that we worked with, he had about 35 years of experience. And I was, and I was just kind of asking him question after question in terms of like, why do we like this property? What do you like about the borrower? And my, my buddy, Brett, who I worked with afterwards, he's like, man, Shane, I was freezing. He's like, I thought I was going to get hypothermia. And yet you're just asking more and more questions. It's like, we could have went back to the office and asked him. And uh, it kind of dawned on me that, we were just wired differently, right? He's got a great job, uh, very high up in a company. But I guess I've always kind of had the mindset that number one, like there's certain things that I think I'm good at. And if I can identify an opportunity, I want the upside. I don't want to uh, sit back passively, if you will, and watch other people make this uh, tremendous money. I mean, to me, I'm prepared to take that risk, if you will, to experience the upside. Uh, because otherwise, I'm going to have the regret of seeing opportunities pass by. And I saw that back in 06. I mean, there's 
I remember putting a presentation out to a gentleman here in, in Calgary, and uh, I wanted to buy multifamily in Edmonton. And I said, there's a delta between Calgary and Edmonton. This is back when I was doing lending. And I said, Calgary multifamilies say, I think it was 75 to 80 a door. And Edmonton was around 40, 45 a door. I, I'm just, I might have the, the dates a little bit off. Yeah, yeah. But I said, like, I can see this gap. And I didn't really know what I was doing. Like, and probably why I didn't invest with me. But you saw what happened. I mean, you know, sure. the, the market just... Well, you know, what's interesting about, because you're Alberta and you've been in Calgary and you know the market, you know, Calgary for years has always been a lead indicator of where Edmonton's going to go. Now that's starting to shift a little bit, actually. I, I think with what's going on right now in Edmonton versus Calgary, it might be vice versa as we sit here today. Yes. Um, but that's a different conversation. Okay, so I have to, you know, I, you know, in the context of the show, seemingly ordinary individuals achieving extraordinary results. Okay, so you're hitting out of the park. You're doing a great job. You're, you know, you got a great, you've created, you're creating a great life. You're inspired to do what you do. But I got to back up a little bit. Sure. I, I always got to look into how'd you get here. Because really, you know, as my listeners, my commitment to my listeners is to show people the journey, show the journey of those who have achieved some success. So take me back into early childhood, because is it nature or is it nurture? You know, do you come from it because of a genetic predisposition? Was your family entrepreneurial? Uh, it's amazing uh, how many individuals I've interviewed where they actually come from a farming background. Mm-hmm. Never were farmers, but their farming background really led them to their on their entrepreneurial journey. So you're White Court. That's kind of small town. Could be farming community. I don't know your background. So why don't we talk about that? Tell me a little bit of it. Go back. Where were you born and raised and what was the background? Yeah. So uh, both my parents, teachers, I was uh, I was born in White Court. I never talk about this because I don't even remember it. But I, I saw a picture one time and we were in a, like a trailer, like a, like a whatever, an eight wide. And so, but, I, but because I don't really remember that, I, all I remember is, uh, I think it was Five Windfall Drive, which was a really small house uh, right across from St. Joe's where I went to school. Uh, I remember in grade two, they announced that my dad was going to be the principal. And so that was like a grade one to grade 12. And so my dad was the principal from, from basically from grade two to grade 12. Uh, very strict individual. I probably didn't get along very well with him because he was pretty strict and I rebelled. And that maybe is where, I mean, just talking it through with you right now, I mean, that's possibly where I got my entrepreneurial spirit because I didn't want to have to worry about money. I didn't want to have to uh, have someone always telling me what to do. And so, you know, I wanted to make money myself. I mean, I had paper routes. I had like three paper routes at one time. I had multiple jobs. I used to build roads, like logging roads out in, um, you know, for uh, uh, Miller Western and Blue Ridge Lumber. And actually, that was um, probably one of the first times uh, I, I had, I was working for my father, uh, or sorry, my, my uh, friend's father, building logging roads. And I saved up for four months to go to school. And uh, my buddy came to me with an opportunity to invest. And it was a very lucrative opportunity. I was 19 at the time or 18. And uh, I put everything I had into it because he was so certain. My parents refinanced their house that they had just paid off. And they put 100 grand into that deal as well. Um, That's a a brave move for a couple of school teachers. I don't even think it was brave. I I really think that they they were so uh, fearful of missing out that they just they thought this was the lotto ticket right and it was almost like buying a hundred thousand lotto t- dollars of lotto tickets mm. although they didn't think of it that way obviously because there was some very smart individuals and business owners in white court that had put their money into this deal mm-hmm. and uh, long story short 
um, you know, as you can imagine, everything went away, right? Like no money was ever made. And so my parents spent the next 10 years paying off that mortgage that, that they'd already paid off once. And so that really jaded me on the idea of other people either raising money or investing. And uh, for the longest time, I was I, all I did was work and I would put my money in a safety deposit box because I just I trusted no one. Was that trust broken down in this in that in that particular investment? Is that the story then, Shane? Is that where it landed that way for everybody? You know, I, I don't know. I think uh, you know, I think my parents probably looked at it a little bit differently. I think they looked at it like maybe they didn't have the skill set to be able to invest. And uh, I think if you were to uh, kind of ask my parents, they kind of feel because they're at a certain age, they're not really interested in kind of learning and understanding how to invest. Sure. Uh, for me, I took it differently where initially I, I didn't trust other people, but I realized that wasn't a very good way to live either because I wasn't really going to get very far, right? I mean, yeah, you, you can save up $50,000, but you know, when you're 20, that sounds like a lot of money. But when you're 40, that's, I mean, not so know, much. That's, yeah, I mean, it's a yeah. couple months of living. Yeah. So uh, I can't, can't really really remember where I was going with it, but but well, it, you had put money in a safety deposit box. You were like, that's where your your trust was broken down. You, did you go? Did you then continue to work the logging side of it, uh, working for no. a job? Yeah, no, do? basically. So this, so that was when I was going back to White Court during the summer, and then I came back to go to university. And so my second year of university because I had no money, I had to go and work. And so I got a couple of jobs working in the bars. I was coaching hockey schools. Now, did you play, did you play hockey? Were you, yeah. Oh, there was yeah. a, yeah, I do remember we had a brief conversation. Give me a yeah. little bit about your hockey background. Cause there was. Oh, cause you had, you have power skate, right? No, that, well, my wife does quantum speed. That's her business. I, I own pro skate in Edmonton. A couple, yeah. Right. Uh, uh, yeah. So you would, you would recognize pro skate from Calgary and uh, from the Calgary stores possibly. Yeah. So that's a little bit of background there. Yeah, so I, I played up to kind of midget double A, yep. and I thought that I might get a ride to go to university. Sure, uh, but I wasn't, you know, probably not good enough. And, and frankly, I started to lose interest kind of once I hit about grade eleven, grade twelve, yep. and uh, it just wasn't a focus. But I still play hockey now, and and uh, quite enjoy it. Now go back a little bit. Now you said you know your relationship with your parents growing up. You know your dad. You guys didn't hit it off so well. Did you? How is your relationship with your dad these days? Well, now, now the short answer is a very good relationship, yep. uh, but it took a long time and it was really on me yeah. because I think a big part of it was just as a kid, you're quite rebellious, sure. right? And I thought I knew better. And now as a parent, I can appreciate that. Number one, no one gets kind of a playbook on how to raise kids, yeah. right? And uh, I remember having a conversation actually with my father-in-law because I was being, this was maybe 10 years ago. I was still kind of hard on my old man. Resentful, yep. And, uh, and he... Um, uh, he basically said, you know what, your dad is doing the best that he can. And that kind of clicked on me where I was like, you know what, I, I really haven't kind of given my parents enough credit because they did a tremendous job. And even though my dad was quite strict, it's kind of made me who I am right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, I see a lot of his qualities in how I teach my kids. Sure. I mean, there's some, there's some nuances, but it's shocking how much you kind of... Um, you know, I spent 18 years living with them, right? So yeah. you, you inevitably kind of uh, have a lot of those characteristics. Sure. And how was your mom? Was your mom a little bit softer? Was she more about supporting you and on what you were doing? Yeah. My mom was always like, you can do whatever you put your mind to, Shane. Yeah. Uh, very supportive, very loving, uh, nurturing. I mean, just the most, I mean, she, she taught grade one. So you can imagine being a grade one teacher. <laughs> yeah. you're, you know, you're very uh, patient. Yeah, uh, for people. sure. 
for sure. And so you went to university, you forge ahead, you come to university. What'd you, what'd you take in university? So I took, well, my first two years, I, I kind of floundered a little bit, but I ended up in uh, economics. So that was kind of, I got a BA with an econ degree and it was really with a concentration in applied energy, which was because I, I thought I would get into the oil and gas uh, sector. So I, I remember in 03, I think when I graduated, uh, oil and gas, I think oil was maybe, I can't remember. I, I think it was right around $20 a barrel. And there wasn't a lot of jobs at the time. And so for a year, I went around and res- with resumes. And, and I, I remember going into one interview just saying like, I'll deliver mail. Like, I don't care. I just want an opportunity because I know once you see my work ethic that you'll, uh, uh, you'll kind of uh, improve whatever job title you give me. And it, uh, you know, I never, unfortunately, got got uh, anywhere in, in oil and gas. And so I applied at the city of Calgary. I got into urban planning and assessment. And that was kind of the transition into real estate. Because before that, I really hadn't kind of given it that much thought. Yeah, you hadn't considered it. So yeah. where did you start in your first deals? Like, what, Where did you kind of kick off? And, and how old were you at the time when you did your first deal? Was it a residential? What was your first deal along the way, Shane? Yeah, so the first... So I I, uh, I was living in my my uh, best friend's basement, and uh, without going into the details, my girlfriend at the time was a little bit older, and she was um, somewhat embarrassed because her boyfriend was living in a basement suite. I was twenty three at the time, mm-hmm. uh, so she broke up with me, and that was kind of a a pivotal moment because I realized that just having money in a safety deposit box and and whatnot wasn't really getting me where I wanted to get to. So within three months, I bought my first townhouse. I got a friend. He came in. He rented from me. Three months later, I bought my first investment property. I think it was uh, 430 4th Ave Northwest in uh, Mount Pleasant. And I didn't know what I was doing. I, I, I honestly didn't. I mean, I didn't know. It, did, it didn't have central heat. It didn't have a basement. I mean, I was just, I just was so eager to get into the well, game. But what was, what was, what drove you to get in the game? Like where did that pot, where did, what was the conversation somebody had or you had with yourself that said, I'm going to buy this piece of property and, and invest in it. What, what was that kind of moment? Was well, there? Well, I mean, I, I, so because I was in my basement in the basement suite with my best friend at the time, Jeff, he was a rain member and he owned maybe three or four properties and he was a bartender at night. And I'm thinking, you know, he doesn't have a university degree yet. He's living for free because he had three of us living there, basically paying his mortgage. <laughs> Smart, right? <laughs> yeah, and, sure. And so, I, you know, I remember, you know, you kind of have drinks and you'd be like, "Why are we paying this guy? This is crazy," you know. And you would just kind of think, you know. But obviously, he he had the uh, audacity, if you will, to go out and and take a risk, put some money down, buy a house, fix it up a little bit, and then he did it again. He did it again, and then he ended up buying up in Fort McMurray. And uh, I, I thought, you know what, if Jeff can, then there's no reason I can't. And, uh, and that was kind of the, what um, spurred me, right? I, sure. I thought, and, and, and frankly, you know, the first house I did, without even doing anything right, I made more than I would have in maybe five or six months uh, working. And so I was, I was hooked, if you will, on, wow, this is... Uh, this, this works. Is my yeah, yeah mm. exactly. So... Now, with Forge Ahead, you've uh, you've accomplished a lot of deals. You've raised what, what was it? I think two hundred and sixty-five million. You've got you've done some about sixty-five million personally. So, tell me a little bit about what the business model and and what kind of how you got to building out the the model that you have are now working with. Yeah. So, so when I started, 
I worked with Andy at Avis and Young, and we would help fairly big companies for the most part uh, investing in commercial real estate. I mean, probably as most people would think, you're dealing with big players, right? Pension funds, uh, REITs, publicly traded companies that are buying and selling industrial or office. And, and so it was on a very big level. But my focus was on the syndication side. And so Andy would kind of task me with finding opportunities. And it took me a long time to really understand what it was that he was looking for because there was no playbook. There was nothing like, you know, here's the box of type of deals that we'll look at. It was really find opportunities that have a story and with some kind of uh, value add. And if it makes sense, we'll, we'll take it down. I mean, we bought uh, mortgages in Eastern Canada. We did, uh, we bought some houses from a developer in Palm Springs. We bought, well, I, without Andy, I bought an apartment building in Edmonton. And then we started with some resorts out in Ontario that were, I think about 1,150 acres. So it was like, it was very scattered and, I wouldn't necessarily say that that's the best way to go, frankly. I think that because in each deal, you had to learn kind of a new skill set. I mean, I had the foundation, but you know, when you're doing kind of a development like mobile home parks, there's the business aspect, there's the development aspect, there's the real estate aspect, there's managing people. So that taught me uh, a ton. And that deal actually didn't go well for about four years. I mean, I talk about this even on my Facebook uh, we had to cash call our investors uh, because that was the only way that we could kind of keep the deal going because we knew that it, the end goal was there. It just, well, it, it just, and we had contemplated it up front. We knew that getting debt was going to be challenging. So our investors weren't surprised, but they still didn't like it, obviously. Yeah, for sure. Now, do you still do stuff into the U.S.? Give me a little bit of a, a, a overview of what you're doing in terms of portfolio and what you're building out and where do you go with your stuff? Yeah, um, it's funny. I, I just actually uh, made an offer on uh, development in just south of Phoenix. And unfortunately, my offer wasn't the best offer, so it wasn't accepted. I don't have anything in, in, in the U.S. Uh, currently, although I'm looking in Houston, Dallas, and Phoenix. Not so much on the development side, because as you get further away from where your home base is, it becomes a little more challenging. This deal, it already had the services in, and we could talk about it after if, if, you're, if you'd like in terms of why I liked it. But uh, currently, uh, I'm working on a retail development in Southeast Calgary. So it's got a gas station, and we're building out another 10,000 square feet of retail. So think of like liquor stores, or in this case, there's a Triple O's and a Chevron gas bar. Uh, so we had secured that before we bought the land. And that was really how we took risk out of the deal. Because in, in, in a development, I don't have the holding power, essentially, or the risk tolerance to buy on spec or speculation, right? I need to have certainty that on a, on, a, on a worst case scenario, this is what I've got. And that's really what some of my previous deals have taught me. Um, now, so in the, on the development side of it, now, I mean, development's a, a kind of a really broad word. And, you know, because there's all sorts of what does development mean? The development, are you taking bare land? Are you taking service land? Are you actually by existing? So what I, what I think I'm hearing you say is that you're looking at development from you, you want something existing. You want an existing revenue model already there, or are you actually starting from the ground up? Where do you go with it? Yeah, so we're buying uh, service land, and it'll be bare land. So when we bought the three acres by the airport to do industrial condos, there was nothing there. It was just services stubbed to the site, and then we took it. It was already zoned, so we didn't have that risk of basically 
having to zone land. So we're not taking raw land and we have to put services to it. So it'll be essentially vacant land. We will go to an architect. We'll go to leasing agents. We'll get uh, essentially plans drawn up. And I'm very much a believer in uh, demand driven. And so just because we thought we knew what the market wanted, uh, we had to verify that. And so I remember, uh, well, actually on both, uh, on the last two developments that we've done, we would have renderings created, take it to the market, get feedback, change it. And so we might spend ten dollars to $15,000 up front. Now, some people might think that's a lot. Other, you know, that, that's, it's not in, in, in the grand scheme of things, if you're doing a $10 million development, that's, that's kind of small. But I would much prefer to understand what the market wants. And so, for example, when we did those industrial condos by the airport, we thought that the bays would be much larger. So industrial bays would be, they would want larger bays. Well, what we found is that they actually want a much smaller base, kind of 1,350 to 1,500 square feet. So think of like a subway, maybe a little bit bigger than that, but with much higher ceilings, 24 feet. And uh, once we hit that sweet spot, there was nothing else in Calgary like that. And so while our price per square foot was high, the overall cost to buy these was right around $400,000. So if someone wanted to own their own space, that was a compelling uh, sales pitch. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, or- 100%. Hundred yeah. percent. So, when you're doing these deals, are you are how are you raising that capital? Is it inside a an LP or what? What exactly are you doing in your particular setup? Yeah. So, I'll, so it is a limited partner uh, LPGP, a limited partner general partnership. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll tell you kind of exactly how we did both of our deals. We buy the land all cash, so we raise enough money and we we raise a little bit extra, so that we raise what we're going to require to do the development upfront. I don't want to have to go back to investors. We also secure enough pre-leasing or pre-sales that we're able to secure our construction financing once we're ready to break ground and once we have a development permit. So let's say on both of the deals I did, I negotiated enough due diligence time upfront that I could A, verify that there was demand, either give an anchor tenant, like our retail development, or we could get 70% pre-sales with contracts in place. And once I had that, I would create a presentation or a pitch deck. I would go to the investors. Fortunately, I've got a track record and um, my investors have done very well. And so the sales is not really sales. I mean, sometimes it's text messages. Sometimes it's sitting down for a coffee, uh, but it's very low. uh, There's no pressure, right? It's just kind of like, here's what I'm working on. Here's kind of what the deal looks like. Uh, Here are the risks. I always tell people that. And if it's something of interest, let me know in the next week and, um, and kind of let me know how much you're, you'd like to invest. And so then we just kind of start structuring the whole deal that way. But I don't go to investors until the deal is what I call, the, the term I use is like fully baked. And mm-hmm. really what that means is this deal is a go. I'm going to remove conditions because I'm putting my own money in this deal. Is that? Yep, 100%. So the reason that I, you know, I dig into it a little bit because you know, many, uh, many listeners on, on this podcast, I mean, they have aspirations of expanding into the business of investing in real estate. And, and development is always a conversation that shows up for individuals. Like, could I do development? What would it be? And, and I'd like to just talk a little bit more about that, Shane. So, I mean, you didn't, you know, you didn't start out where you were. So That's you right. talk about we. So have you got partners in a business? Have you, how, what are you structured? Like, are you, what do you, in, in your world, in terms of what you do with the business, what's yeah. your role and what's the role of others? Who's the team that you've created behind it? 
Yeah, no, that that is a great question, Patrick. And and I would uh, I would start by saying uh, I've been investing for 15 years, and and even now I wouldn't likely do a development on my own. And so when I say we, I've got a business partner, Jason, who uh, has been building and developing. His dad was a developer. And so between the two of us, we complement each other very well. I mean, he really does understand the development side of things. Uh, I go to all the meetings because I want to understand the business and I want to kind of expand my my own base and, and understanding. Uh, but I can tell you, I mean, I was on site last week and uh, walking around, looking at things. And uh, I get a call maybe 30 minutes later. And they said, uh, yeah, the compaction by the one of the buildings, uh, you know, it, it's too soft. And I'm thinking, okay, well, I was just there. Like, why didn't, you know, and I, and I didn't notice it. I didn't, you know, I'm just, yeah. uh, so I don't want to, I don't want to come across like I know everything on the development side. I, I certainly don't. I've got a, a guy who really understands it well. And my job is more on the marketing, the sales, raising capital, um, maybe, uh, interacting with our uh, trades and and whatnot because that's you know it's a little bit more up my alley. I'm not afraid to uh, have difficult conversations or or yep. be unpopular, if you will. And so, but we work really well together. I mean, sometimes he's got to be bad cop, bad guy. But I think that's such an important aspect of any business, right? Is understanding your skill set, you know, understanding what you know or what you don't know, and then making sure that you surround yourself with the right people. In your case you know, you partner with somebody with, uh, with a complementary skill set. So he's obviously got more experience. It sounds like more operational focused in terms of what they're doing on site and getting that handled. You compliment that you support that, but ultimately he, 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 I suspect he's not as good at doing the raising capital, the marketing as you are, that's kind of your skill set. And so that comes together and really is what makes it all work. Yeah. I mean, and, and, even though he like like he's got a good network of people, but he just doesn't really enjoy raising capital. Like I come out of those meetings and I'm fired up. Like you know what I mean. Like I, he's like, you love this, Shane. I said, yeah, I love it. Like I because I You're I think they're good at it. Sure. And uh, and so he just kind of laughs. He's just like, yeah. He's like, you you just focus on that. I'll focus on this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let me go. Let me go put on my parka and uh, get out to the site. I got work to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he'll show up every day. He loves that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's great. So now, take me back a little bit in terms of you know when you talk about your own personal professional development, you talk about maybe mentors. How important has that been for you now? Because I have conversations with investors all the time. They want a mentor. They want a mentor, and they just can't seem to attract a mentor. You know, they can't seem to find somebody that will spend the time. And do you think, what do you think that is? Why, if you're giving somebody guidance in terms of how to connect with somebody in terms of getting guidance or mentorship, what is it, how is it that you were able to do that? And so many can't do that. Why, why, why do you think that is? Is there a, do you have an explanation for that? Yeah, I would say if, if I was to kind of think about my own experience with some of the, I've had two really good mentors, uh, Jim who really taught me on the debt side and Andy on kind of the acquisition and raising capital. Neither one of them, you know, neither, neither of them came to me and said, or I, I didn't go to them and say, would you mentor me? That was never a conversation. Uh, it was, uh, I think that they could tell I was genuinely curious. I could add value. I showed up. I never had any expectations. I bought lunch or coffee. I paid my own way. I mean, for three years with my father-in-law, uh, we didn't really do that many deals. 
and yet I didn't, I didn't give up. I didn't, you know, complain to him. I made a complaint to my wife, but, uh, but it was really just um, understanding where I wanted to get to and just knowing that just being around them was like, I don't know how to describe it. When you're in a meeting with someone that has been doing something for 25 years and you just see how they react and the questions they ask. And, and, and sometimes in those conversations, I would say something. And afterwards, uh, I would get let, I, I would be let known or whatever. The, <laughs> they would tell me very quickly that, hey, if you're going to ask a question, ask a question. Don't, don't beat around the bush. And so uh, I had to develop thick skin. Otherwise, I probably wasn't going to last, frankly. And uh, I think maybe what happens, because I have some people come to me and I can tell that they want some sort of mentorship, if you will. And it's like, they want me to do the work for them. And it's, and it's just the wrong mindset. I mean, I'm busy enough. I don't like, if, if there's, if it's just one way, if it's a one way transaction, it just doesn't work. I think that there's got to be like a real conscious thought to like, how can I better this, this, my mentor, if you will, right? What can I do for him? Mm-hmm. Right? Is it running errands for him? Is it doing this? Is it like, and, uh, like I said, I never did it consciously, but I'm just kind of thinking back and, and realize that that's probably why they enjoyed spending time with me. I think that's the other key thing. You know, you got to be someone likable. Well, that, yeah. And I, and I mean, there is a, there is a part of that, you know, that drive in some individuals. It is really what you said. It is, you know, cause I know that there's some, some people that you just want to get behind I, what and you go, what the hell is it? You know, they're asking the right questions or they're showing up in the right context and actually, you, you want to be a contribution, especially if you're wired to do that anyways, which I, I am historically. That's my that's how I go. But it does come from uh, seeing somebody who's asking really smart questions or good questions, thoughtful questions, and isn't just randomly looking for more information and is actually sharing perhaps some stories of some steps that they're taking and moving forward, what they're doing, and they don't know where to go with this particular thing. But it's interesting that, you know, uh, that you were talking about guys coming back to you afterwards and going, dude, if you're going to ask a question, ask the freaking question, right? Like, get on it. And often we know with experience, you start to realize it's not, you can assess somebody in where they're at in their own journey, not by the questions they ask, but by the questions they don't ask. Yeah. And, and, and really that's where a lot of blind spots live. And so let's go back a little bit on some other stuff, Shane, is that, you talk about some of your own personal professional development. So how do you kind of, how do you operate on a day-to-day basis? Are you, are you a, a voracious reader or you, you know, do you study? Do you, what do you do to kind of in that personal professional development space? What is it for you to, how do you develop as a business guy and just as an individual overall? Yeah. I, well, first I wake up uh, pretty early. I get up around 5.00 AM um, Monday through Friday uh, weekends, I'm usually up around 5.30 to 6 type of thing. And I spend a good amount of time either reading or studying or learning from other people. So, I mean, if you were to see my my office where I'm at, I've probably got, well, six bookcases just filled. And on my desk, I've got 20 different books. And I don't know, I'm not saying that I have it right. I mean, I think it would be nice if I was able to focus sometimes a little bit more, but I'm very intentional. So if I need to uh, learn something, I'm going. I'm not afraid to invest, right? I mean, there was a gentleman that just came out with uh, uh, how to do due diligence on commercial real estate, and I know that that's kind of I wouldn't say a weakness, but it's somewhere I could improve. It was five hundred dollars US, and I didn't even think twice about it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm I'm like fully prepared 
to pay for access and, and speed, if you will. And, uh, and I think that uh, it's, it's funny because I'll listen to other people that want to achieve these goals and talk about where they want to get to, and they won't even spend $20 on a book or, or to go to a conference or to kind of, uh, uh, I mean, the stuff that Rain puts out is unbelievable for, for the investment, right? And so I, I think that is, is a part of it. I think another part of it is really being intentional about the people you're around. Um, I've had to, unfortunately, probably, you know, the, the, the friends I'm around are the friends that, that are kind of pulling me forward, right? They're accelerators. I heard this from someone, I don't know who it was. And it was kind of like, are they accelerators or anchors? Mm-hmm. And that might sound uh, cruel or harsh, but the truth is, I think once you become a parent and you value your time so much, because I want to be with my kids, I want to be with my wife, I want to do fun things. Uh, if I'm around someone that is not supporting that, then unfortunately, you know, I'm, I'm just naturally going to go to people that are more conducive to the way I want to live and, and support it's, me. It's interesting how tentative you are around that conversation, though, <laughs> because, you know, I'll tell you um, is uh, I'll give you an example of So I, I, I want to get back to this. And this is a really I think it's such an important conversation. And, you know, I, I, I don't know if you've, have you met Janet LePage, Dave Steele's partner with Western Wealth Capital? I, I know, I know of her. I, I haven't met her in person. Yeah, though. well, I did, a, you know, I interviewed her a couple of times and, and uh, recently on the podcast and, and uh, she's, you know, 37 years old, they've done 2 billion in transactions, mm-hmm. you know, like, I mean, hitting it out of the park, yeah. but <clears throat> the conversation that she's really clear about, and it, it was pretty uh, it was very clear. Like she made no mistake. I make choices and her choices are very clear. And one of her choices is my kids are, I'm choosing to be with my children. And that means that my time is precious. And I also choose to, who's going to be in my space and where I'm going to put my time. Like there's no hesitation. She's like uber clear. Just, and that's not, to, that's just an observation of you're, you're a nice guy. You're being diplomatic about it. And it really is like, okay, you're either an anchor tied to my ass and you're holding me back and getting in my way of moving forward or you're, you're actually, because of who you are, you're pulling me forward with you or I'm pulling you forward, but we're all going in, uh, moving forward in the same direction. And it's yeah. such a big step for people to take. And it's such, so complicated for people to understand, you know, but it's in every single case, as I've interviewed people on this podcast now for the past couple of years, that is definitely, uh, what I've, I see often is that, and I know for myself, I've had to clean up relationships over the years. My circle of influence, what I call, you know, my circle of influence, my circle of support is actually very, very small. Yeah. And, uh, I have a small inner circle that I trust implicitly. I have great conversations. They light me up every time I get on a call or on a meeting with them and it's fun, fun, fun. And, uh, beyond that I'm done. Yeah. I've been, I've really cleaned shit up. So <laughs> that's a lesson that you, you know, you've gotten. And, um, and so tell me a little bit more about that. Has that, because your family's really a priority, you're working from home now, which is kind of lights you up. You get to hang out with the kids yeah. and your wife and do what you weren't able to do in the past. How intentional are you in terms of relationships What's your, is there a filter for you? Is there a way that you look at that part of your life in terms of creating relationships? Like, yeah. I think, I think we could be best yeah. friends. I think that's what I think, Shane. We could be good buddies. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> so we share common values, right? So there's always that conversation, right? Are you sharing common values? Yes. I, no, absolutely. I think, I think I'm probably to your point, I, I, like a nice guy or whatever. I, I, 
I'm sensitive around the fact that I have probably alienated a lot of the people that I grew up with and a lot of the friends that I used to have. And it's not to say they're not good people. They're, they're great people. It's just, unfortunately, to your point, like, like there was paths that I could have taken and what they decided to go down where I went down. And, and that happened maybe 10, 15 years ago. And so what happens though is at first you don't really notice it, but 15 years down the road, I mean, when those decisions compound on each other, the, 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 the person I am today, like even my wife the other day, because I'm 41 right now, and, I, and, and we met before I was 30, and, and she remembers our, my 30th birthday because she threw a really kind of cool party. And, and I said, like, how much have I changed? Like, I didn't, I, in, in my own head, I didn't think I'd changed that much. And she started to list off all the characteristics of what I used to be like when I was 30 and then what I'm like today. And I, she meant it from a caring place. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you, it hurt because I, I didn't even appreciate who I was when I was 30 years old. I, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but I'm, I'm so intentional. And here's something that just kind of came to mind. My wife actually probably dictates a lot of the people we hang out with. Not, um, I, I don't think I do it consciously. It just so happens that she's more of the social planner, if you will, in our life. And so we always have conversations about kind of who we hang out with. You got to get along with the husband and the wife. Do the kids get along? Do the kids tear up your house? I mean, it's just like, it's all these things, but, but they stack, right? I mean, if, if uh, you know, I, I don't know if this is uh, valuable to your audience or not, but I can tell you that when I see people that have maybe dysfunctional relationships, you just, you don't really want to be around those people, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And so it's amazing how just having that, like that bond with my wife has really set me on a path to having just tremendous friends that are, that are like-minded right? How we treat our kids and, and schooling and education and working hard. Well, that's interesting. And, and that's a level of clarity. And that's what doing the work, you know, really looking inside and looking at and defining who you want to be and how you're going to be when you get that level of clarity. You know, there is the story, right? A, a like attracts like. And most of that's built around the fact that it's hard to be in somebody else's space when you don't share common values. You know, you have, you're a relationship guy. You love your wife. You love your children. It's hard to be around individuals who aren't that way, who are not as connected as a couple. They got their life, they're doing their thing, but it just means it's hard to be in that space. Um, and so there's some real clarity that's gained when you start to define who you are. You know, uh, I sh- I've shared this a number of times and it's kind of become my mantra lately is that when you compromise your values for the sake of a relationship, you come to re- resent the relationship. And so being clear in your values, even understanding what your values are, you know, mm-hmm. lots of people don't really even know what truly what their values are and that they could be quite intentional ab- about that. Now, in a, in a, in a normal kind of day of practice, uh, do you, are you a fitness buff? Are you, do you meditate? Or is there some of that work that you've done as along the way as well, Shane? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, uh, I've got an app on my, my phone that I, I think it's Headspace mm-hmm. and I yeah. meditate, uh, every day, uh, for kind of 10 to 15 minutes. Sure. Some days I'm having harder days. I'll meditate twice just because it, it kind of clears me. I work out every day. I mean, the last 30 days, uh, I did hundred burpees a day just as a challenge. Cause I wanted to kind of, you know, push myself a little bit yep. and that might not sound like a lot of hundred a day, but for me, hundred burpees a day is a lot. It really cranks your yeah. cardio. Up, you know? yeah. So yeah, I didn't, great. I didn't like doing it. Right. Yeah. So that was, yeah. that was the purpose. Yeah. This month I'm doing uh, 5k a day. So, 
And on top of whatever other, like I, you know, go to the gym or I go to Orange Theory, I do some CrossFit stuff. So yeah, I try to stay, uh, everything I do, it, so the working out is what fuels me and gives me energy. So that is really what, uh, and, and if I don't work out, I notice that I'm uh, not as, I don't know what the right word would be, maybe intentional or maybe uh, scattered. I don't have the same energy uh, to bring into the day. So that is really what drives me. It's not to compete. It's not to, it's not for other people. It's really what fuels me. Let's go back a little bit because you said you have no problem, you know, spending money on that outside education. And, you know, what I've learned over the years, because we, I mean, we've literally worked with thousands of individuals, you know, rain as much as we're an education-based business research, all the rest of it, we're kind of a mass coaching program, really, when it comes down to it. I find myself, you know, wondering, because there's individuals like yourself, many who say, listen, I'm just, I'll take, I'll, I'll spending money on my education is really important, that my own development is really important. And so I'm, I'm willing to invest in that. And I've always got it where you have individuals or who are really gun shy about spending whatever, you know, hundred bucks, 500 bucks, whatever the number is, you know, uh, I know that is being a, a member of the rain community. I, they don't want to spend that money. And, and then I realize that there's, I think the shift, tell me what your thought, this is just philosophically speaking, people are afraid to invest in themselves. Because that's really what it is. You're not investing in education outside of you. You're investing in yourself. If you don't do anything with the education, guess what? You just pissed away the 500 bucks. But ultimately, if you're confident that you're going to take it, put it to work. That's, I think, some of the psychology, maybe whether it's subconscious or, or very conscious. I don't know. What's your, theory? What's your theory on that? Because you've had lots of conversations with people. Yeah, it's... Uh... <laughs> I, I've actually thought about this a lot. And I remember when I first committed maybe two and a half years ago to, uh, uh, I thought it was a business coach, but he worked, he turned out to really help me on the personal side with my wife and my family. And, mm -hmm. and then and the, the, the business was kind of bolted onto the back. And I want to say that investment was, uh, I mean, it was five figures and I'd never invested that kind of money before on one coach. And, and it was, it was like uh, a lot of soul searching. And what I found was, uh, once I had committed because the level, the level of money that I had invested in that, like it forced me to, to do everything. You know, I took it so seriously and, uh, I, I think you're right. I think what happens is if someone isn't kind of prepared to, to maybe make that kind of financial investment, I mean, like you're buying speed to your dream essentially, right? I mean, if the person is the right person, if they're not the right person, then obviously all bets are off. But if you feel that that either you know whether it's rain or someone else, like like if if what you're searching for, they have accomplished it, and you want to get there. To me, it's just crazy to try to do it on your own, if you will, right? Because, I mean, for me, I've had 15 years, so many learning lessons, so many experiences, and I and sometimes I'm thinking to myself, like, why doesn't someone like I just I just shake my head? It just makes me crazy, and. Uh, so I, I, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I'm at a loss sometimes, but I think it really does come down to, does the person believe that they're actually going to do it or are they looking for like a magic bullet? And, uh, yeah, you know, there's, so I'm going to talk, there's a couple things I don't want to miss the point. I gotta, I got you know, I'm going to make a note here just what, because there's a couple things I don't want to step over because I want to talk about what you just said, which is you hired a business coach. And the next thing you know, is going down this whole personal journey, right? You're all, all of a sudden you're on this different personal journey of, 
of development and you're going, you know, at some point you're probably going, what the hell? I, I you know, I, I, I hired a business coach. <laughs> <I know. laughs> and what's interesting about this, and I'm going to just talk about this a little bit. I would like to have this conversation with you a little bit because you've experienced it. You're very accomplished. Here you are. You're, you've, you've accomplished a lot of things. I mean, you're churning dollars and cents. You're, you know, you're generating revenue. Gosh, life must be good. Business must be awesome. You actually hired a business coach and then you actually, where they entered the conversation with you was built around the conversation about what you've got to be in your own personal development. Now, why can't people you know, what is in the way, because you've, you've taught a lot of people, you've, you've actually supported a lot of investors. You're, you're, you're like that. You like to teach and you like to educate and coach. So what is it, what is it about people that they think, give me more how to, and I'll figure it out when it isn't how to that's in their way. What's in the way is them, you know, another strategy, another tactic, another how to isn't going to fix the problem. You, you know, it's it's in their relate their relationship or their lack of relationship. It's in the way they're being or not trusting or any 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 number of things. Their mental health, their physical. I mean, there's so many things that can get in your way. It isn't another how to strategy. What's your take on that, Shane? Yeah. Okay. So um, I'll try to answer the question as best I can. I think number one is uh, uh, clarity on what you really want, and I think for the longest time. The goals I had were, uh, they sounded great, right? They were written down on paper and it was heavily influenced by what I thought other people might think were good goals, but they weren't my goals. And it wasn't until, uh, frankly, I was probably close to 40 that I really started to live life on my terms. And once that happened, it was just like, it was just this, this, like this, like, wow. Like every day I just woke up with, with such excitement and joy and just like, and it doesn't mean that my days aren't stressful. I certainly have that, but it was getting like just really intentional and clear on what it is that I wanted and why I wanted it. And so I think that that is a big part of it. I think another part of it was for a long time, I jumped around and I dabbled and I wasn't fully committed. And so uh, I would have success and then I would get distracted. And I was kind of, you know, I let too many other people influence uh, my decisions and really where I wanted to go in life. And it's because I didn't have that, you know, I, I'll give you an example. Like we, we you go out for uh, dinner with friends or whatever, and they're talking about something else. And it's like, wow, like they're selling me on their idea of what they love. And all of a sudden I'm now putting my attention into that thinking maybe I should go down that path. And it, you know, once I got like, like I said, crystal clear on what it is that I wanted those conversations come up and I'm just like, good for you, man. Like, that's amazing. I don't even think about it because it's not what I want. It's not where I want to go. And I think as soon as that switch happened, people can tell when you're coming from a real congruent place, when you're like confident in what it is that you're doing versus someone that is jumping around and, and seeking and, and kind of hoping. And, you know, if you're like, look, let's face it. If you're investing 500 here, a thousand there, and it, 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 you're kind of hoping for a gimmick, right? Versus if you go all in on something, like you're you're focused. committed. You're committed. Yeah, you're focused. Yeah. So that that is the case, right? There's often just people looking for that kind of magic pill, that you know, that button that they can push and they arrive. You know, it's like if I can just do that. So how important, you know, what I've noticed as well, and is, you know, you talk about right here, even in this conversation, which shows up for me is around your, uh, your focus 
because of the coaching that I do in terms of even group coaching, it was interesting in a recent coaching call with, I don't know, I think there was a dozen people on it or something. We kind of went around and had a conversation where people might be stuck and what they needed. And consistently, it was about the lack of focus. Make a choice. What is the focus? And to your point, you're having conversations. Those, you know, that could be a cool distraction. That could be a cool distraction. Well, that looks interesting. And then, but you seem pretty focused. And have you, is that a conscious thing or, or once again, nature or nurture, nurture, where is this a, something you've developed? Is this something that you're really aware of? And so that everything else goes just batted out of the way, because this is where I'm going. This is the focus. This is what I'm focused on. How is that for you and how you, you look at that? Uh, what I would say is, uh, number one, I'm a big believer in, is it nurture where it's up to me, right? I, I take responsibility, I guess. And I'm not the, uh, uh, fastest learner, if you will, but I'm probably where my strengths are is I'm going to commit and stick with something for the long haul. And I think that, uh, I had this conversation with friends last week or just this past weekend. It's like, when you say yes to something, you're saying no to other things and you may not even realize it. But uh, I've been very uh, intentional and I talk to my wife about this often. I'm like, like, when we say yes to something, it should be a hell yes. Not, yeah, that sounds like a good idea because when you commit to that, uh, what you're essentially saying is no to a bunch of other things. And, and so for me, it's been like, we know where we're going. It's having that conversation with my wife. I'd like to say we're we're still having our date nights, but we've been a little bit. Um, uh, we used to do it every Thursday. Now it's kind of switching around a little bit, but we're still pretty intentional. And we sit down, we talk like, what is it that you want? Here's what I want. Because if we're on different pages, then unfortunately, our resources start to divide in terms of time, energy, money. And I think that for the most part, we have agreed on where we want to get to, what's really important to us. And we, and we kind of stay focused all in, on, on that path. Is that, I don't know if I answered yeah, your question. No, I think that answers it. For me, it answers it, it perfectly. What showed up in that conversation just now that what you were talking about is your relationship with Kelly. This is another consistent kind of thing, because if we're just about generating revenue, making money, you know, I talk to people all the time, man, they're good at making money. Gosh, they make a lot of dough. And there's no doubt about it. But the individuals who I admire in terms of their success have also, they, they make, yes, they make a lot of money. They make a big difference with their businesses and what they do, but they also have really strong relationships, whether it be with their significant other or even outside that circle of influence. But if they're married, they have a very strong relationship. How important has that been for you and Kelly to, to achieve the results? And, and I don't want to seems obvious, but it's not obvious to people. There's lots of individuals who have, they make money, they're in real estate, they're in business, and they're just not aligned at all with their significant others. As a matter of fact, that's a, it's a huge energy drain on a, on a day-to-day basis, week-to-week basis. For you and Kelly, how intentional is it in the work that you've done as a couple to be really dialed in and really clear? Well, I mean, I, I would say that, I mean, there's, there's decisions in terms of where I invest, Right when when we did those uh, developments out in Ontario, I had to fly four hours and then drive two hours, so I'm six hours away from my family. And because the deal was not going well, I would have to spend up to three weeks at a time away from my family. And so that taught me a big lesson in terms of I don't like being away from my family. 
So I won't look at a deal that's going to take me away from my family for an extended period of time unless my family will come with me, right? So when I'm looking in Phoenix, it's because I know my wife and kids love to go to Phoenix. And so if I can get a house and they can come with me, then that, that all works, right? Mm-hmm. But, but that's, how, like, that's how thoughtful I am in terms of, you know, can I fly in and out in two, two to two and a half hours? Can, would, my, would my kids and wife want to come with me on a trip? If they don't want to go there and it's too far away, then unfortunately, I just kill the deal because it's, it's not, it's going to take me away from what I, why, why I'm doing it, right? Before I wasn't clear, it was about the money. Well, then you realize now you've got money and you're not happy, right? You know, sitting like, you talk to a lot of guys, at least for me, where they, uh, they don't out, outwardly say it, but if you have kind of a deeper conversation with them, they're pretty lonely when they're staying in a hotel room by themselves, right? They might try to mask it by going out and drinking and doing all that kind of stuff. But, it, but deep down, they don't like it. They'd much rather be with their kid and their wife and whatnot. And so it's like, if that's what I really want, then why would I put myself in a situation that's going to take me away from there? I love that clarity and that commitment. And I think where people get stuck is they're, they think they're going to lose the deal or something better or something that actually supports what their goals are won't show up. Like it's like they're compromising a deal. And I, and I have to stress again, you know, time and time again, as I'm talking to individuals, that is their commitment. And I'll go back to just because it's still fresh in my memory in the conversation with Janet LePage. She's, she has conditions which are really simple. I don't travel on certain days. I don't go away on weekends. She uses her, her calendar. She says, I, there's what I pen in and there's what's I, what I pencil in. But the things that I pen in are always around my kids and around my family. Those are penned. They're not movable. I don't ever change them. Or if I do, it's got to be extreme circumstances. Sure. And if I travel on a certain day, I'm back either that night or early the next morning, or I just don't go. So she has lots of really, really tight conditions in her area of focus. And, but what shows up is the deals and the relationships that they share the common values. So it might be inconvenient for some people, but they go, no, you know, that's at the end of the day, that's what we're, you know, that's what she insists on and we respect the focus. Yeah. 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 No, it's, uh, I mean, look, I, I remember uh, a time when I was away, uh, for my daughter's birthday. Uh, I've been away when, my uh, one and well, she was she's six, but she was two at the time. And she, uh, this is this is how supportive my wife is. And I don't talk about this very often, but out in Kelowna, we were vacationing, and I had to fly back to Muskoka to handle some some significant issues. Uh, my daughter uh, pushed open the patio door, and the the concrete was extremely hot. And she was only one and a half. Essentially, what happened when she walked out, her feet stuck to the the cement and they had to pull her off Uh, and and they didn't tell me this i mean i knew that it was serious because they had to go back to calgary and go to the uh, burn unit and all that kind of stuff but my wife's like you deal with what's out there and i'll handle this and i mean like if i talk too much about i get teary-eyed i don't want to do that Mm -hmm. but that just goes to show you how on board we are because she knew that i had to stay focused out there and and yet in hindsight, I don't want to put myself in a situation where I'm going to be taken away from my family like that again, because that's So that's it's a stand. So, you know, I guess the, the point of this, though, is that you and Kelly are in those conversations. This is not, Absolutely. it's not by accident. You guys are intentionally as a couple evolving and developing the relationship that you have so that it does work for you and your family and your business. Does, does Kelly work outside of the home or is, 
is her focus primarily family and and works within the home? Well, what's interesting is she's an interior designer in oh. commercial real estate. Oh, and, uh, brilliant. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, what, what's funny is she's kind of talked to me. She's like, you know, can I work on some of your deals? Like now that I'm kind of back to doing this, because for the longest time she focused on, on our three kids. Yeah. Uh, and I said, yeah, absolutely. We can, we can kind of talk about that for sure. But she's, she's got a pretty good little practice and, and, uh, I can be, uh, hard on some of our, not hard, but I'm pretty demanding. And yeah. so I've, I've kind of tried to keep it separate. Uh, but I think that now she's got, uh, some support staff that, that will potentially start to work on some deals together. You know, as a, you know, uh, of course my wife is, is business owner, self-employed and we, we, we cross over all the time and in, in the work that we do together. But I think as husbands that we're just naturally bigger assholes with our wives, <laughs> It's amazing how far, you know, we push the envelope on that. And I'm not only speaking for myself, I am speaking for many others that I've had this conversation with. And, uh, and so, yeah, we're, we're blessed to have great wives and, uh, great, uh, great women that support us and, and great relationships. And so that's terrific. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this has been great. We got to wind down this conversation. We're just going to do some quick rapid fires. This will be, um, this will be uh, fun to do and get you focused on thinking really what have, what do you got going on? What book are you reading right now or what book do you like to gift that you would recommend or gift to people? Uh, well, actually, it's, it's on my desk. It's called Higher Status by Jason Capital. And it's, uh, it's, it's a pretty interesting book. It's more on kind of human psychology and uh, I'm enjoying it. Well, now what is, okay, so let's go back to that. Why the hell are you reading a book that's kind of built on human psychology? Are you trying to figure yourself out or are you just trying to figure other people in general? Well, I'm trying to figure myself out. And, and so for me, one of the biggest things I'm always trying to do, and that was one of, the, one of the kind of focuses with my coach was to, I'll call it control my emotions. And, and what I mean by that is not allowing either external events or other people to influence how I'm feeling on a daily basis. and. Uh, and so there's there's some uh, very kind of interesting strategies and whether it's posture, how you talk, what you're thinking about, what you say to yourself. And I mean, at the end of the day, I, I mean, it's, it's kind of trite, but a big part of this is really uh, mindset, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, because the technical side of investing in say real estate is is known, but there's a, there's a reason why some people are able to amass billions or hundreds of millions and other people struggle with, with improper expectations and they have a tenant that leaves or kind of beats up their house, they just say, well, they, this doesn't work, right? This was this is a scam or, or whatever. And, and other people look at it and say, that was a great learning lesson. Like, uh, I'll know not to do that next time. So now when you, so name of the book again, it was by Jason. Jason Capital. Yeah. And it's called Higher Status. Now, when you, so think about what you just, uh, what I'm just thinking about what you just said is, yeah. is, you know, social media is such a big one about how, I mean, you read enough social media and you, you figure that, you know, there's nothing great about your life at all, given what everybody else seems to be doing. So is that, is that part of what goes on in there? Cause I've actually had these conversations with people who are really, really get shut down around social media because it's like, I've accomplished nothing in my life. Although they're only looking at those split second moments in time, you know, of the couple walking down the beach that, you know, literally a split second before <laughs> where they were fighting. So does that kind of dig into that as well? Well, uh, I suppose it probably does. I look at it not be- because I don't really worry about that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not too, too, uh, affected um, by that. Yeah, I, yeah. But what I would say is, you know, like I, I got an email from a guy cause I had asked for some, 
some uh, feedback on something I sent out to my audience. And this, and this one guy emails back, I get, let's say 20 great emails. And one guy says, you know, I've tried to listen to your show a couple of times and you ramble too much about your stories. And then he's like, I just, I can't. And I'm thinking to myself, like that affected me for like, you took it on. longer than it should. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? You take it on. You know, as, as presenters, we run into that every so often. Yeah. We'll do a great presentation. We'll like hit it out of the park. Everybody's, you know, it's great, great, great. And we'll literally get an email <laughs> where somebody is was shut down because they saw a, a typo or a punctuation. Exactly. And we literally get people that will say, you know, Patrick, I, I loved your presentation, but, you know, I can't, I, you know, it's hard for me to step over. You know, it's like red pen. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> gosh. Okay. We move on. So this was supposed to be rapid fire, but that was, I, I was just more interested in that sure. psychology side of it. What's your favorite swear word? Uh, well, if you want me to say it, I, I probably dropped uh, uh, the f bomb way too much. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm I'm good with f bombs. I, I, they just work for me. <laughs> um, I'll maybe grow out of it one day, but I I've, I've tried and it doesn't seem to work. I keep going back to that. Yeah. It's just it's appropriate, you know. It's like, I know it works fuck. in so many scenarios. Yeah, it just does. Uh, <laughs> do you have a favorite inspirational quote? Yeah, I'd say the quote that I like is uh, "How you do anything is how you do everything." Mm. I keep I keep unpacking that one. I don't know if I if I agree with that, but you know, I, but I have to unpack it. I, I at times I do, and then I go, nah, not really. I I so to me it's still a little too vague. I'm I, maybe I'm not that smart. Here's why here's why I like it. I mean, there's there's uh, there's other quotes obviously that I kind of think about but that just kind of came to mind. The reason I like it is uh, it reminds me when I'm being lazy and when I should be uh, really especially around my kids, mm. like, like my kids are watching me. And so I can tell them something, but they're really watching what I do. Uh, and so that is what I'm thinking about yeah, when, I, yeah, when yeah. I say that type of quote. Good lesson. Uh, probably, yeah. 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 Good one. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the gates? You crushed it. You crushed it. Nice one. That's a good one. <laughs> On a scale of one to 10, how weird are you? Uh, well, if you ask my wife, she'd probably say like a nine or 10 or my kids. <laughs> I, I don't think I'm that weird, but, uh, yeah, I'm probably like, uh, probably a seven and a half to eight. Okay. No judgment here. Okay. <laughs> what are you not very good at? I mean, like what sticks out that you're just really bad at? Uh, what am I bad at? I mean, there's like, I, I'm not, it, I'm not delaying cause I can't think of anything. I'm thinking of like many things that I'm poor at, mm -hmm. but I would say, some of the things that I'm, I'm not very good at, number one, I would say I'm not very good at being present in the mm. moment. Mm. Uh, uh, when, when I'm with my kids or I, I think about work way too much, I think, because I love it. How are you? Oh, that's a, that's a big one to work on. It's the truth for me. Yeah. <laughs> how are you with, a, uh, with your, uh, with your phone? Are you, how are you with the phone around the kids? Do you, are you able to put it away? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually not too bad. Like I can kind of put my phone away. Uh, but I would say on weekends and, because I'm, I, I love to learn yeah. and I don't like downtime. Yeah. And so what I, what works for me is I tell my wife, I'm like, we got to do stuff. Cause if I'm, if I'm, um, idle, bored, yeah, you gotta be, I'm idle, yeah, you gotta be moving and, and I'm going to, uh, fill the time and, yeah. and occupy my brain. With I'm something. built a little bit that way as well. I get harassed a lot by my team <laughs> about being too connected to my phone. And I'm really, I, you know, I, maybe I just need to be more aware of it. I'll work on it. What's the most impactful book that you've read? One standout? Yeah, I think the, the one of the first books that uh, Tony Robbins wrote, Unleash the Power Within. Within? Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that book, when I was quite young, that was, a, that was a big one. Room, desk, or your car, what do you clean first? 
Uh, my car. Are you a car guy? No, not really. I like, I mean, I've got a Tahoe that I really like, yeah. but you don't collect cars. You got three kids. Oh, no, no. What the hell are you going to yeah. do? Well, you can't buy yeah. a Porsche. Well, I drive could. fast. So <laughs> I used to have street bikes, but yeah. I, yeah, I, uh, no. you, you broke that one. Okay. <laughs> Favorite tune. Right now, my boy and I are listening to 21 pilots, uh, chlorine. I have no idea what the hell that is, but it's probably awesome. I'll look into it. Favorite movie. <laughs> do you have one right now? Uh, the movie that kind of stands out to me is Braveheart. Hmm. Good movie. Yeah. What are you grateful for, Shane? Well, certainly my uh, wife, my three kids. I mean, I'm grateful for just living in um, Calgary, Alberta, and Canada. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, I, I try to be grateful for a lot of the things that I think we kind of take for granted. And uh, yeah, and my health. I mean, that's those are all kind of awesome. Today, I am grateful for some freaking amazing weather here in the lower mainland of british columbia and i'm grateful to have had the opportunity to get to know you a little bit better shane looking forward to uh working with you in the future and uh want to say thank you for uh being a guest on my podcast today yeah i appreciate it patrick this has been a lot of fun it was uh it was great getting to know you and uh having the conversation ladies and gentlemen thank you for listening if you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others, share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.